Why don't you take your Bibles again to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, I want to finish up here today, Lord willing, the thought of perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1 is our verse that we're focusing upon here today. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Last week we looked at the promises that are mentioned in uh, verses 16 through 18. But having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, obviously written to believers here, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Last week I mentioned that perfecting holiness speaks of the process of becoming more like our Holy Father. Perfecting talks about a, a continual process. And of course, as we hold your place there, notice with me 1 Peter chapter 1 once again, reminded of these words. I remind you that the standard for holiness is not someone else. Well, I'm more holy than they are. That's a holier-than-thou attitude that is despised by so many people. The reality is, the comparison is God himself. It says here, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, and be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Obviously, his coming. It says here, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. Notice, obedience is necessary for holiness. We're to not be like the past. Something should change in us at the time of salvation. But as he which hath called you is holy. Again, he's the holy, the, the standard of holiness, I should say. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation or conduct. Because it is written in the Old Testament, because it is written, be ye holy for I am. Am holy. The goal is to be more and more like God in His holiness. John 17, 11, Jesus Christ calls His heavenly Father, Holy Father. We should want to be like our Holy Father. But the question I want for us to consider here today is the practical ways in which we perfect that holiness. Again, this, this command is given here, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So how is it that we can perfect holiness in our lives? First of all, we must have separation from the world. Notice back in chapter 6, we've, we've covered this passage before, so I just want to kind of go quickly down through it, but I want you to notice here in the context that we cannot perfect holiness if we are not separated from the world. In particular, we're talking about being separated from unbelievers. We have nothing in common. Be, verse 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? They have not the righteousness of God. How, how can we have anything in common with them? What communion hath light with darkness? We are delivered from the kingdom of darkness. We have nothing to do with them. Notice it says, what concord? What harmony? Carries the idea of a symphony. What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part he, hath he that believeth with an infidel? Notice what, a, what agreement. Can two walk together except they be what? Agreed. Amos 3.3. 3. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? The church is called the temple of the living God in Scripture. For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. 
and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, notice, notice this statement. This command is given to the church at Corinth. Obviously, they were not separated like they should have been. Because Paul, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says, Wherefore, come out from among them. They were spending time with these idolaters. Paul is emphasizing, what do we have in common with the unbeliever around us? That's not saying we, we totally isolate ourselves from them. We're talking about insulating, protecting ourselves from the influence of an unbeliever. They don't have the same, at least they shouldn't have the same desires and workings in our lives. It says, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you. Notice again the promises, and I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. I want you to notice with me 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. I want you to notice as far as the, the friendship of the world is concerned, if, if we have friendships, close friendships with this world, it's going to affect our relationship with our holy heavenly Father. 1 John chapter 2, notice verses 15 through 17. This is talking about a love, not loving the world, and it's very interesting in this context how the Bible words this. Love not the world, neither the things that are in this world. The Bible is going to tell us here what this is all about. And you think about Demas, having loved this present world, he forsook Paul. If any man loved the world, notice this statement. The love of the Father is not in him. Jesus himself said in Matthew 6, you cannot love two masters. You're going to love the one and hate the other. You'll hold to the one and despise the other. Love not the world, because notice, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So how much do we love our Heavenly Father today? It's going to make a difference in how we live our lives for all that is in the world. All right, so here's the, the definition of the understanding of the world. The lust of the flesh. What this sinful flesh desires. Notice the lust of the flesh. Notice also the lust of the eyes. I'm going to see it, Solomon, I mean, everything he saw, he pursued it. So he ended up with 700 wives and 300 concubines. The lust of the eyes and the pride of life. You might recognize this is the same as what happened in Genesis chapter 3. You also recognize that these are the same three things that Satan tries to use with Jesus Christ in the wilderness and the temptations. Is not the, notice, all of these things is not of the Father, but as notice, of the world. So if our life is consumed by what my sinful flesh wants, if my life is controlled by what I see, if my life is controlled by what I want, the pride of life, I do not love my Heavenly Father. I don't know how much clearer this can, can, can be put out here. Notice, it's not of the Father, it's of the world. The world passeth away, and the less thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Notice James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 4. I do not think we in modern day Christianity take seriously enough. that As I want the things of this world more and more, my love for God is diminishing. I want you to notice this. It says in James chapter 4, verse 4. This, this puts this on a whole different level here. Notice, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? If I want to be friends with this world, 
Okay, let's put it down on a practical level. If I want the friendship of people of this world more than I want the friendship of the people of the church, the people of God, then notice I am an adulterer or an adulteress. That's pretty serious. That's like somebody cheating on their marriage. We're talking about cheating on our relationship with God. Notice we make ourselves an enemy. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. That, that's an understanding of worldliness that we do not comprehend. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life makes me an enemy of God. And it's the same as spiritual adultery. That's pretty serious. It's going to keep me from living a holy life and perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Notice me um, also Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I'll show you the example here of, of Moses. Now, Moses had everything this world could offer. He was living in the palace. In the providential working of God, he ends up being raised by Pharaoh's daughter. But he had to make a choice. He had to make a choice. Notice it says here in verse 24. And by the way, he was a believer long before this, but he had to make a choice as far as what this world could offer him. Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing. Notice this, as far as the world is concerned with us as believers, it's a choice. It is a choice that we make. We make a choice to love God or love this world. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line what it is. It's love, either love God or love the world. Those are the choices that we have as believers. That's what 1 John 2 said. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Well, if it's going to involve suffering, then I'm out of here. Well, then you better make sure you're a believer in Christ then. Think about that. If you're going to choose the world on purpose, I understand Demas. Having loved this present world, he forsook Paul. But it was a choice that he made. If you want the world more than what Jesus Christ can offer, you better check out your relationship with God. Choosing, rather, to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Oh, sin is fun. For a little while. Until payday comes. Until the consequence. God has built in consequences for our sinful choices. You can choose to, to sin or not. It's your choice as believers in Christ. What is not your choice is to choose the consequences. Well, I'm going to sow my wild oats. Well, you're going to, sow, you're going to reap wild oats then. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Think about this. The treasures in Egypt, he had access to it being adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. But he says, you know, suffering reproach for Christ, by the way, that was in the Old Testament. Notice that, by the way, right? Christ in the Old Testament. There's not a different way of salvation in the Old Testament than the New. Esteeming the reproach of Christ. He would rather have the reproach that a life of Christ, with Christ brings. That's greater riches. Why? Because I'm going to be heir, the joint heir with Jesus Christ. That's, that's far, far greater riches than Egypt, what Egypt had to offer. The world. By the way, Egypt is a picture of the world. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is 
invisible. I want you to notice an example of this in 1 Kings chapter 11. I'm telling you, I'm emphasizing that unless you're separated from this world, there's absolutely no way, absolutely no way you can perfect holiness in the fear of God. An example of this is King Solomon. Notice 1 Kings chapter 11. He did not obey God's commands given to Israel about separating from the nations around them. It says here, But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh. Right, so this was a political arrangement, I'm, I'm convinced, but uh, affinity with Pharaoh by marrying his daughter. Notice, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. Wicked, wicked pagan nations. Of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave, clave unto these in love. Remember we saw in, in last hour, a man's hand was cleaving unto the sword, so that his fingers had to be pried off the sword. That's the idea of cleaving or, or claving in this case. It says he clave unto these in love. He would not listen. In fact, he was warned. We're going to see later in this chapter. He, was, he would not listen to the warnings from God. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. Legal mistresses, basically. And his wives turned away his heart. Huh, notice that. By the way, 1 Corinthians 15.33 is true in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. You want to know what you're going to become like? Check out your friends now. Check out your closest friends. That's what you're going to become. That's what you will become. Solomon started off great, wanting wisdom from God. God even said... He gave him a special name because of the love relationship that Solomon had for his, his, his God, his Lord. Well, this totally changed because of these women in his life. Or it came to pass, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. So was David perfect? Absolutely not. He was a man after God's own heart. When he sinned against God, he got things right. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and was, went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, where the temple would be built, what was built. And for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. Can I remind you that Molech, Molech was worshipped with child sacrifices? I, I, I had not really considered this. All right, so Solomon had how many wives? 700, right? How many concubines? 300. So you'd think with that many women in his life, the Bible would talk about hundreds of children. Can you show me? The only one that's really mentioned is Rehoboam. All of a sudden, I started wondering, for Molech, why is he creating a place, a high place for Molech? Well, probably because some of his wives were sacrificing their children 
to the god Molech. That's probably the reason why hundreds of children are not mentioned in Scripture with thousands of women in, in Solomon's life. Very interesting to consider, to meditate on. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. It was not just Molech that was worshipped with sacrifices, even human sacrifices. The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. Two times he was warned about this and commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore the Lord judged him and, of course, divided the kingdom. Separation from the world is absolutely essential. Absolutely essential if we're going to perfect holiness in the fear of God. I want you to consider also that Perfecting holiness in the fear of God requires more than just self-effort. Notice with me Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. I want to start this thought with this passage in relation to unbelievers. And I want to remind you the illustration, the example that I gave you last week of Benjamin Franklin. Since some of you weren't here, I want, I want to mention this. Benjamin Franklin, by his own statements in his, his uh, autobiography, sought out to pursue after moral... Uh, I forgot his exact term. Um, anyway, moral, moral excellence. Uh, moral perfection. That, moral perfection. Well, that's why I used the illustration. I, 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 sometimes I, I'm slow to get it. But, um, moral perfection. Right, so he sought out after moral perfection, but he, by his own statements, he was an unsaved man, an unbeliever. In fact, he didn't even, he rarely went to church even. So you think about this. So he had this standard of 13 qualities that he sought after for moral perfection. With that said, he said this. I was, I was more of a mess than I ever thought I was. However, he said this. I have seen improvement in these things. And as I pointed out, history reveals Benjamin Franklin was the most, one of the most immoral men in our founding fathers of any of them. Think about that. And yet he thinks he's been making progress towards moral perfection. With that said, notice Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Benjamin Franklin was never, never saved. In fact, you understand from history, George Whitfield witnessed to him. He listened to George Whitfield preach. He, he published his sermons. And it was just a civil friendship by Benjamin Franklin's own statements. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. All right, so you have God's standard of righteousness. And then you have man's standards and striving for moral perfection. They're, they're ignorant of God's righteousness. And they go about to establish their own righteousness, their self-righteousness. Ultimately, that's all Benjamin Franklin ended up with. It's a standard of self-righteousness. Well, I didn't do too bad, as he's writing in his older years. I improved. He still fell eternally short of God's standard of righteousness. Notice they have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Can I point out here that unless you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and in Him alone for your salvation, you will never arrive at the holiness that God requires to be in His presence. 
Absolutely not. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and I'm doing all these things to be saved. Guess what? You're going to hell. That's the reality of Scripture. Because again, we saw in Hebrews 12, without which, holiness, without which no man can see God. Go back a few chapters to chapter 7. All right, so that's an unbeliever in chapter 10. An unbeliever can never, ever arrive at God's standard of righteousness, God's standard of holiness. With that said, also notice now believers here in chapter 7. I want you to consider why we struggle sometimes spiritually to be what we know God wants us to be. Notice it says in verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. This is Paul as a believer. For that which I do. Now I have the word pronoun I circled. Because I want to emphasize something here. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. How many times the pronoun I is in that one verse? (laughs) If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. What am am I trying to emphasize here? Paul, in the energy of his flesh, is trying to be right with God. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Why? Because he's still a sinner by nature. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. I, I want to do right. I want to do good things. But I keep doing wrong things. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. This is that old sin nature that we still have. I find find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law after God, after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind. And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who, not what, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a person. Not a patch, not a program, or anything else you can, you can find. It's a person. Jesus Christ is the one who empowers us through the work of the Holy Spirit. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh, the law of sin. We've seen this passage here recently, but I want you to notice this again in this context. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. One of the reasons why we fail so many times to perfect holiness and the fear of God is because we're trying to do it in self-effort alone. We need to depend upon the Lord. Galatians 3 verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? All right, so exalting the crucified Christ. In fact, I believe that's the context of verse 20 of chapter 2. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but notice, Christ liveth in me. He's living out the Christian life in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who hath loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 2 of of chapter 3. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Pause there just a moment. Do you think you can receive the Holy Spirit by keeping the law? 
Absolutely not. You can't. You do not receive the Spirit of God by the works of the law. All right, so in Romans chapter 8 says, if you do not have the Spirit of God, you're not one of His. You're not a son of God. So everyone who tries to keep the law for salvation, guess what? They don't have the Spirit of God. They don't have salvation. The Spirit of God comes at the time of salvation. Notice, or by the hearing of faith. Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and what? Hearing by the word of God. Are you so foolish? He calls them foolish here. Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Here's what Paul is emphasizing here. Are you, are you going to become perfect by... You're going to become holy. You're going to be right with God. This, this is that perfectionism I've talked about. This is what I struggle with. This is a reminder that I go to constantly for my perfectionistic spirit. Perfectionism is a work of the flesh. I'm trying to be perfect like God in the energy of my flesh instead of God doing it through me. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit. Right? So you're saved and you receive the spirit of God. That's a working of the Holy Spirit. Are you now made perfect by the flesh? Are you going to do it? In fleshly efforts? One other passage in relation to this thought. Notice 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I want you to notice again, it's not through self-effort alone. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23. The very God of peace. The very God of peace. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Notice how God is described here. The very God of peace. He is the one who is sanctifying us Holy or entirely. This is related to um, a name of God in the Old Testament and a title that the Lord that doth sanctify thee. The very God of peace sanctify you holy. I pray God. Notice this is the prayer request for the Thessalonian believers. I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24, faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. This is related to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God is not through just self-effort. I'm going to become holy like God. You can't do it because you still have a sin nature. But that does not mean we do, do not take any personal responsibility. Remember what Paul says? Instead of turning back there, we'll have another passage to look at here in a moment. Remember what he says, cleansing ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Notice we still have a responsibility. Yeah, so that means I can do anything I please because God's going to sanctify me entirely. No, 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 no. Don't miss the point. You see, if you do not want to give up your sin, there's a problem there. What needs to be cleansed? What is holding you back from perfecting holiness in the fear of God? What thing of your flesh and of your spirit are holding you back from perfecting holiness in the fear of God? It's very interesting. Galatians 5, in the context of the fruit of the spirit, also talks about the works of the flesh. I, I've mentioned this before, but uh, I've heard a preacher uh, say this in the past. I almost got in the flesh. No, if you almost got in the flesh and you recognize that, you probably did, at least to some degree. The works of the flesh, 
in contrast to the fruit of the Spirit. Why not you see this in 2 Peter chapter 2? This is exactly what false teachers use to lure people in. Most, most of the megachurches, very close to all of them, do not require you before God to see any changes. Come as you are. We accept you as you are. You can come dressed like you're going to the beach. It doesn't matter. You come here and then go to the beach. Come as you are and leave as you were. We are not expecting anything to change in your life. They might as well say that because that's exactly what they're doing by alluring through the lust of the flesh. It says here in verse 17 of 2 Peter 2, These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. That, that's a reservation in hell. Joel Osteen and all these mega church pastors... They have a reservation in hell. That's what the Bible says. They're wells without water. You can have your best life now. That's why I get irritated every once in a while when somebody says, I, I, I like Joel Osteen's talks. And then they say they like my talk. It's like, you can't see any difference between me and Joel Osteen? Oh, there's a problem there. There is a problem. I don't have enough hair to have a hairdo like that. So, Verse 18. Some of you are catching that. Verse 18. For when they speak... Great swelling words of vanity. Their words are all emptiness. There's no substance to them. They allure. Notice that word. They allure. How many of you like fishing? Every once in a while I hear about your fishing trips. you got to find that perfect lure. Guess what they use? They use the lust of the flesh. Notice, they allure. These are false teachers. They, They say they're Christians. They're Christian teachers. Notice they lure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness. Live as you please. We're in an age of grace, not law. Wow. Through much wantonness. It doesn't matter how you live your life. God still loves you. That's not what my Bible says. God hates the workers of iniquity, the psalm says. God's wrath abides on the one who refuses to believe in Jesus Christ. That's what my Bible says. I don't know what Bible, well, they're using one of the modern Bibles anyway, I guess. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought in bondage. Freedom leading to bondage. Wow. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Oh, they're exposed to the truth. And some of them even have the truth. But they refuse to believe it. Some some of them even use the King James Bible. Imagine that. They are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. You see, we are to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. All right, we need to take responsibility for cleansing ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. Now, knowing the time, it is now high time to awake out of sleep. It's time for us to wake up. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. All right, so this was written in the first century. How much more important is for us today? It's time for us to wake up, folks. Christ is coming soon. 
The night is far spent, the day is at hand. The day is at hand. Let us, oh, there's, there's an interesting phrase. We just saw that in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Let us, therefore, cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting. The word rioting speaks of indulging in excessive fe- uh, feasting. Party! How many Christians live for the weekend so they can party? Not in rioting and drunkenness. Not in chambering and wantonness. Unlawful cohabitation. That's literally what chambering is talking about. Wantonness speaks of no restraint. Remember we saw that wantonness back in 2 Peter 2. No restraint whatsoever upon your sinful flesh. Not in strife and envying. Put ye on, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to, to uh, fulfill the lust thereof. Uh, can I point out something here? If you struggle with your flesh, you probably should limit severely your access to the Internet. Think about that. If you struggle with your flesh, why, why give yourself access to the temptation. Notice, make not provision for the flesh to, to fulfill the lust thereof. We live in a day of cell phones. You better buy a cheaper phone if you can't handle that. Think about this. Make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Why? Because we have a responsibility to cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh. What are the passages related to this? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus... I challenge it. I'm challenging you that as ye have received of us how, there is a certain way we are to live our lives. You have received of us how ye ought to walk, speaks of living, and to please God so you would abound more and more. Increase in it. Don't, don't just be satisfied. Well, I'm getting by. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. You want to know what the will of God is? Here's one of them right here. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. What is sanctification? Being set apart. That you should abstain from fornication. I tell you often, this is the Greek word porneia. Listen to the first part of the word porn. It's anything expressioned outside of marriage. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel, speaking of his body, in sanctification and honor. When we do not do this, notice, we dishonor. God with this vessel. Well, yeah, you're a Christian. And why are you doing something that brings God's judgment according to Hebrews chapter 13? That's what he's emphasizing here. Vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence. Unlawful desires and lust. That's what the word concupiscence means. In fact, if you listen to it carefully, you want to know what concupiscence means? Listen to the middle of the word, cupid. Cupid. Whole Valentine's Day thing, you know. As long as you're married, Valentine's is fine. 
even as the Gentiles which know not God. Why would a Christian live like an unbeliever? That's what he's telling us here. Why would we live like an unsaved person that does not have God, does not know God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter? Because that the Lord is the avenger. Hebrews 13, 4. The Lord is the avenger of all such as we also have forewarned and testified. For God hath not called you unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given us, notice, he's given unto us his holy, small h, spirit. God the Holy Spirit who dwells within a believer is a holy spirit. 1 Peter 2.11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. You're damaging your soul when we live in this world. And we love the things of this world. Also, we're supposed to cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of the spirit. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Wow, you didn't realize there's so much perfecting holiness in the fear of God, huh? We got plenty to work on, don't we? Ephesians 4, verse 17. Well, see, that, that's because God is the standard and not someone else. I'm better than you are. <laughs> verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. Ephesians 4, 17. That ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. <laughs> you you want to know what the vanity of the mind of the Gentiles is? Don't, don't listen to it too much. You listen to what they talk about? That's the vanity of their minds. Having the understanding darkened. They don't understand. It, it's darkened to them. Being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance. Notice how God describes it here. Ignorance that is in them. They do what they do out of ignorance. They, they don't know any better. Because of the blindness of their heart. Notice verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, liberty, license to do as they please, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Oh, they don't just go after uncleanness, they go after it with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. Something should have changed in you. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off, notice this, put off and put on, put off the concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in, notice this, righteousness and true holiness. Not just an external holiness. We're talking about inside-out holiness, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse, ni- uh, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Do, do we take seriously our time with God? Do we just, God bless me with my day. It's like, do we prepare our hearts to go into God's presence? Oh, I, I know Hebrews 4 says we can go boldly to the throne of grace. That does not mean arrogantly. He is still an holy God. 
It's like the high priest going into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle in the temple. That's how we're entering into God's presence. We have boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. You know that Old Testament veil? God tore that in half. The top to bottom. But by the way, that was so thick, there's no way a man could... That thing was so thick from what I read in history. It was so thick, God had to tear that in half. And it was tore from the top down. So everybody could see into the Holy of Holies, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God. Notice, Jesus Christ, the high priest over the house of God. The church, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Notice that. When you go before God, have you dealt with your conscience? Think about this. Before you go to God, have you dealt with things that have violated your conscience? Never, never, never violate your conscience. You know why? Because God is using your conscience to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit to tell us something's not right. Accusing or else excusing one another. Notice having our hearts, our inner man sprinkled from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. Oh, there's baptism right there. No, that's not baptism. That's talking about the water of the word according to Ephesians chapter 5. Our bodies washed with pure water. Notice this. Cleansing ourselves of all uncleanness of the spirit and of the flesh. Our conscience and our bodies. As we go before God, we need to say, God, forgive me. Forgive me, forgive me. You know, if we flippantly go before God, carelessly and casually go before God, guess what? We're going to come under God's judgment rather than his blessing. Verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised, cleansing ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Second Timothy 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. The Lord knoweth them that are His. By the way, God knows if you're a child of God or not. I don't always know that. I can look at evidence. But only God ultimately knows. And, of course, you do. What are you, who are you trusting is better, the better way to ask that question. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ, notice, depart from Iniquity. Notice, if you're a Christian, you better be checking to see what God says is right for you. Because we're to depart from iniquity as a child of God. When you name the name of Christ. By the way, that's one way you blaspheme the name of Christ. Exodus 20 says we should not blaspheme God's name. Profane God's name. When you call yourself a Christian and you live like the world, like you're an unbeliever... Guess what? You're blaspheming in the name of Christ. We name the name of Christ. There's a certain way we need to live our lives. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth. Some to honor and some to, notice, dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. Sanctified. Remember we saw that. 
sanctified and meet or fitting for the master's use. Useful to the Lord. Prepared unto every good work. Notice that means we're going to flee also youthful lusts. To follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace. With them that call on the Lord of a pure heart. Cleansing ourselves. Notice something else here. Yielding to the correction of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12. We're getting close here. Hebrews chapter 12. As a child of God, when you sin against him, when you disobey him, you're going to be corrected. Why? Because he's a loving father. What's love in that? Do you realize that when a father does not correct their child, they're actually saying they hate them by their actions? Go ahead and ruin your life. Go ahead and kill yourself in the middle of the street, kid. I didn't really want you anyway. That's what they might as well say if they do not correct their children. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, my son, this is a quote from Proverbs, despise not thou, the, uh, not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Chastening. Notice the rebuke, the scolding. How many of you enjoyed your scold, you know, scolding from your parents? I didn't enjoy that. And again, I've told you, I, I, I think that's why middle names are given to us, so that the names are longer when, they, when they're calling us. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And notice this, scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. There's there's different levels of correction here. We have scoldings, we have a spanking, but we also have a scourging. Can I remind you that a scourging is going to leave a scar? What was a scourge in, in Bible times? Not just a whip. It tore the flesh and left a scar. You know, there's sometimes that God will take a child of God, a child of His, through a time that's going to leave some scars. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Parental neglect. Again, it's hatred for a child. But if, if ye be without chastisement, Whereof all are partakers, all of the children of God will partake in chastisement, this correction. Then are ye bastards and not sons. You think about this. That's a, that's a label that's given to somebody who does not, does not know who his father is. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. And we gave them reverence, respect. If not, when you're getting the spanking later on. It's amazing when we get 21, start figuring out our dad knew more than we thought. huh? Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit, notice, notice this statement at the end of verse 10. That we might be partakers of his what? His holiness. Here's how God perfects holiness in us. Our response to his chastening, his correction, will determine how much of his holiness we're going to be a partaker of in this lifetime. Now, no chastening for the present time seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, son. I don't know about that, Dad. It's not an enjoyable experience to get a spanking. It's not an enjoyable experience to get a a scolding, even. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness 
unto them which are exercised thereby. Don't have time to look at this, but you, you look at Job 5, verses 17 and 18 sometime. Essentially, God is bruising and then binding up. That's a picture of God's correction. You see, unless we're responding to the correction of the Lord, we will not perfect ourselves in holiness. Last of all, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This is not a fear of condemnation because it's written to the dearly beloved, to believers. Can, can I point out something? Here that uh, If you have a fear of hell, you don't, either, first of all, may not understand what faith in Jesus Christ does. Or second of all, you're not a believer. But can I remind you that John 3, in the context of 3.16, says that the one who has not believed in Jesus Christ is already under condemnation. Romans, I think was it chapter 5 or chapter 8, there is therefore now, no, I think it's chapter 8, there's now, now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. We're not talking about a fear of condemnation in that, in that statement of fear of God. Listen to Exodus 20, verse 20, in the context of the giving of the Old Testament, Old Testament law. Moses said unto the people, this, these are, this is the chosen nation of God, fear not. They were, they were fearful because God was coming down on the mountain. Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your eyes, your faces, I should say, that ye sin not. That his, fear not, but fear. That's what he said. Fear not, but fear. We're not to be afraid of God's judgment and condemnation, but his fear should be before our faces that we sin not. Proverbs 8.13 says this, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way. And the forward mouth do I hate. Proverbs 16, verse 6, By mercy and truth iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Do we truly fear God? I've shown you many times Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. The whole conclusion of the matter is this, Solomon says, Fear God, keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man. We can boil down the entire Christian life by this, fear God and obey him. Why? Because he's going to bring everything into judgment someday, including the secret things that we thought nobody knew about. In fact, I think it's 1 Corinthians that says he's going to manifest the things of the heart, the secrets of the heart. Fear God. Let's be 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're almost done. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is the judgment seat of Christ. I've heard the preachers who state that the judgment seat of Christ is all about rewards. I don't think so. Not according to this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. Other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only foundation. In the context of the church... And of our lives. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built, there, uh, built uh, thereupon, he shall receive a reward. 
But if any man's work shall be burned, think about it, all of your life's work burned up at the judgment seat of Christ. He shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye, plural, talking about the church, are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Not just the judgment seat of Christ, but you notice, we we should not want to defile anything as far as the temple of God. Why? Because God's going to deal with you. Does that strike any fear? You see, the fear of God should keep us from wanting to sin. A couple of passages as we close. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 28. Verse 26 gives us a little bit of the context. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. So this is the context of why he's saying that. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. That's the Old Testament law. All right, so that's the Old Testament. We're we're under grace. This is the age of grace, not law. Uh, That's not what this is saying here. All right, so if that's the case, we're under grace, then there's more expected of us than the Old Testament. How much, of how much sore punishment suppose ye? Shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done desperate under the spirit of grace? For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. Notice, the Lord shall judge his people. Deuteronomy 32. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. Hebrews chapter 12. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have, oh, here's our grace. No, notice, the grace is not to live as we please. The grace is to live so that we live as he pleases. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. That's what Romans 12.1 is all about. Do do you realize that if we're living in this world, there's no way we can offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to Him, which is our reasonable service? How much fear of God do we have in our hearts? Let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence, and godly fear. Because you notice, as he was in the Old Testament, our God is still a consuming fire. Ask Nadab and Abihu. Today, as you think about this, first and foremost, if you're not saved and trusting in Jesus Christ alone, the Bible is born again. Born again with the Spirit of God. It's not things you do. It is not things that you do. In fact, if it's all things that you do, that's, that's a work that you can boast someday in heaven. Look at what I did to get to heaven. You better have a fear of God, fear of God's condemnation and wrath. 
Because the Bible requires repentance and faith. Again, without true salvation, you should have a fear of condemnation. But that's not the fear that we're talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Because it's written to the dearly beloved. As, as believers, as believers today, are we trying to make excuses why we're not more holy than we are? I'm not perfect, just forgiven. As I said last week, that is nothing more than an excuse for not trying to be like our Holy Father. Not giving ourselves wholly to that and yielding to His correction, all these things that we've considered today. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Why? Because someday, someday very soon I believe, we're going to stand face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account of our lives. I, I believe very strongly on that day we're going to wish... We're going to wish we had done more. Lord, I pray that you'd help us examine our own hearts. First of all, to see whether or not we're in the faith, even as Paul challenged the church at Corinth. And Lord, I pray, I pray that everyone here knows, truly knows Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Not trusting in good works, not keeping commandments, baptism, whatever the case may be. All of those things are inadequate to care for the sin nature that we all possess. I pray today that everyone here knows Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Repentance toward you, Heavenly Father, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. But Father, I pray this message was for for us as believers. Lord, that each one of us each one of us would have this consuming desire to perfect holiness in the fear of you, dear God. Holy Spirit of God, thank you for the power enabling to do this. Help us to yield to your filling. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.